Hello and welcome to the National Secular Society podcast. I'm Chris Sloggett, Communications Officer at the NSS. This is a special edition of our podcast to follow up on Secularism 2019, our conference which brought together more than 200 people on Saturday the 18th of May in London. The conference explored what the term religious freedom really means, what reasonable limits can be placed on it, and how to ensure it's defended equally for everybody. Our speakers addressed subjects including freedom of expression, children's rights, and the relationship between religious orthodoxy and religious freedom. Uh, So in the interest of full disclosure, I'll say now that unfortunately I had to miss the conference myself. So my colleagues who are there are going to tell me and you what they've taken away from it. Uh, I'm joined by uh, Megan Manson, who's our campaigns officer and was in charge of organising the event. Hi. Uh, Alistair Lichton, our head of education. Hello. And our membership officer, Helen Nichols. Hello. So, uh, Megan, let's start with you. Uh, If you just tell us one thing that you took away from the day. Um, I think the clues in the title, Reclaiming Religious Freedom. And this was an opportunity to really clear up some of the confusion about what's meant by that. And I think the conference really helped to do that. Um, So this conference emphasised that secularism is about protecting um, freedom of belief, and that includes non-belief for everyone, rather than just a privileged few. And that religious freedom isn't an absolute freedom at all. Um, It's important to discuss when freedom of religion needs to be restricted. And we established that religious freedom ends where the human rights of others begin. Uh, Very interesting. So, um, Alistair, you were saying that the subject of conspiracy theories came up in a couple of the talks. That isn't something we tend to think about regularly in our day-to-day work. Yes, this is something I was thinking of and really came about from some of the side conversations I was having with the other delegates. It wasn't something I'd previously considered, and I'd say it's more a different way of thinking about some of these debates rather than a new phenomenon. So we see in some opposition to our campaigns against religious non-son slaughter or male genital mutilation or in some of the more extreme um, religious school issues we deal with in the Islamic and Jewish communities, there's this idea that this is a front or it's part of a conspiracy to get rid of these religions. Um, now that conspiracy obviously isn't real, but some of the fear it generates is and should be something we might want to consider and in order to try and reach these people. So we see this um, when you've got protesters outside school gates who have bought into this conspiracy theory that relationships and sex education is part of you know, this vast conspiracy to turn children gay. Or we see people uh, spouting an idea that there's a politically correct conspiracy to silence Christians in this country. We, to some extent, should be seeing these people as victims of a conspiracy theory and using the skills that others have developed to break through to these people. So not just pointing out, oh, you know, the facts of you're wrong about this, but perhaps saying, okay, how did you form that belief? Why do you think that, you know, schools are trying to turn Muslim children gay? Where do you get that idea? Um, so, Alistair, were there any talks in particular where you uh, thought this, that you, you saw this conspiracist thinking mentioned and raised, or was it just in the side rooms? I think we'll probably come on to it, but I would say uh, Yasmin Raymond's uh, talk about the anti-RSE uh, protests, uh, some of the discussion, the side discussions around uh, male genital mutilations, that circumcision, and uh, Izzy Posen's talk um, about you know, his experience and how he viewed these campaigns when he was within that community. 
Um, I think at this point, I want to sort of add that, just going on from what you said there, um, that it was important for us to actually reach people in religious communities um, for this event. And I think we actually succeeded in doing that. Um, a lot of our supporters and the people who come to our events tend to be on the, on the non-religious side of things, but there were definitely um, people from religious communities um, at this conference. Um, I remember there was a group of Muslims who requested that they have a room to pray in um, at the afternoon, which we were able to provide. So I think that was a, a really good feeling that we did manage to get both religious and non-religious people there in the room discussing these issues, um, listening to people about these issues and, and doing it in a very calm and adult fashion. So I think we were quite successful and I'm really hoping that people who do have those fears have maybe had some of those fears alleviated a little. Well, secularism's for everybody, isn't it? This is what we, one of the points we really try to make. Um, yeah, it's, it's often sort of painted as uh, an atheist movement and of course many of our supporters are inevitably atheists, but at the same time religious freedom, um, if we apply it in a sort of equitable way and apply it to everybody, um, does protect the religious as well, so long as uh, you know, people follow the law and appreciate that that law is drawn up um, on reasonable grounds and guards everybody's rights equally. Um, so uh, I wanted to pick up on that conspiracy theory point as well that uh, Alistair made. Um, it, it does feel to me like there's a bit of a link between conspiracist thinking and anti-secularist sentiment. Um, so for example, at the moment, there's quite a lot of attention in America on the anti-vaxxer movement, the anti-vaccination movement. Um, and this movement seems to have sort of shifted its focus recently. Um, it's always peddled junk science, but now it seems to be putting quite a lot of emphasis on demanding religious opt-outs from laws which everybody else has to follow. Um, and if you look at something like the Hindu, Hindu nationalist movement in India as well, um, that's very anti-science as well. Um, this all seems to be part of a kind of ultra-individualistic way of looking at the world, so where you can justify almost anything on the grounds that it's in line with your personal beliefs. Uh, and in the case of vaccinations, it's endangering children's lives. Uh, the US is now suffering its worst measles outbreak for at least 25 years. Uh, sorry, I wasn't quite... And I think that's something, uh, sorry to interrupt, but we need to look at in this country as well, when you have illegal unregistered faith schools and children uh, inaccurately recorded as being home educated when they're in fact attending these institutions, they're a group I think are particularly at risk of not being immunised because of so much our immunisation process is delivered through schools. And I know this is something that we've uh, covered in our response to the consultation on elective home education, which we'll be reporting on in the next couple of weeks. Yeah, it's often very easy to forget people who are in these sort of conservative religious communities and uh, they're, they're often sort of dismissed, thanks to the bigotry of low expectations, aren't they, as, as just sort of one homogenous block who all think the same. Um, and actually, people's rights within those uh, communities, if you do want to use that word, uh, are often forgotten and do need to be protected. Um, now, perhaps we'll turn to Helen next. Um, you enjoyed a talk by Izzy Posen, so this is sort of leading on from what we just said actually about um, illegal and unregistered schools. He's a very articulate young man who dissented from his strict upbringing in an ultra-Orthodox Jewish community. 
He attended an illegal, unregistered school where corporal punishment was routinely used, especially to silence children who asked questions. Um, he's now the president of Bristol University's Free Speech Society. Um, what was it that impressed you in particular, Helen? Um, one thing that impressed me a lot was the fact that he said his own family was so strict he had very little education, even by the standards of that community, and yet he eventually managed to teach himself English, and then within a few years of leaving the community, he had managed to get his education, bearing in mind he had no GCSEs, no A-levels, he managed to get to the point where he was ready to go to university. And, um, he, you know, he's studying physics. I think physics and philosophy is doing difficult, some quite difficult subjects. So it's incredible the way he, he's managed to do that. Um, and I think his situation does demonstrate one of the key issues with religious freedom, which is where um, a parent's right to bring up their children in a religious tradition ends with the um, child's right to something else in this case the child's right to an education and it's clear that there are parents who will try to bring up their children in a way that will ultimately stop them from making decisions to leave the group later by not teaching them English and ensuring they don't have the kind of education that will make it easy to get a job in later life and um, it's important the government don't turn a blind eye to this. Yeah, this is an important part of our work, isn't it? Um, Alistair, as our head of education, is there anything... I mean, you were talking about illegal and unregistered schools with the vaccination point. Is there anything else you wanted to add on this? I think I'll just say that an important part of our response to this needs to be shifting the narrative to be talking about children's rights and children as independent right holders. Uh, obviously, parents have the right to raise their children in accordance with their religion or belief, but that's not unlimited. Children also have independent rights to, you know, to not have their chances in life shut down unnecessarily and particularly have the right to an education. Yeah, it's uh, an important part of, uh, of what we need to stress, isn't it? And I, I suppose I, I would add... Um, a sort of former teacher myself, my, my thinking on this is always that we should be enabling children to grow up um, and develop their own religious views and beliefs in their own time when they're mature enough um, and, and not essentially trying to push a particular um, you know, religious worldview on them. So, yeah, perhaps we'll turn to Megan again next. Um, I know that you enjoyed Izzy's talk and uh, you want to say a bit more about the way in which our speakers focused on, a couple of our speakers, Izzy and, uh, and Brian, uh, focused on children's rights. Yeah, I was um, really pleased that we put Izzy and Brian together one after another. Um, that was deliberate because we knew they'd be able to talk about um, aspects related to children's rights and religious freedom. So from Izzy, we had the um, perspective of um, really very restrictive religious schooling. And uh, from Brian, he talked about um, religious genital cutting, both in, uh, well, in male, female and intersex children. So in both cases, I think we established quite firmly that uh, children's basic rights to bodily autonomy and safety and a decent education have to be prioritised over parents' religious wishes, no matter how deeply held or well-intended those wishes might be. I just want to add something that um, when I spoke to Izzy afterwards, he was a bit concerned that he'd only spoken about the negative aspects of his community and family. And he thought was worried what pe that people might think they were all bad. And it's important to remember that the people brought up in this way were probably raised in the exact same way themselves. They probably genuinely think the outside world is dangerous and want to protect their children. And that ultimately, 
it's not so so much about um, good guys versus bad guys. It's about balancing rights and about thinking of the best policies because otherwise you will have the same cycle perpetuating itself forever. Yeah, balancing rights is a, a theme that we that we like to sort of stress, isn't it? It's uh, yeah, it's just about essentially saying that a child has the right to uh, a decent education and uh, to grow up in their own body, and that um, I don't think either of those things should be uh, particularly difficult to defend. But um, it's obviously still very important to do so because a lot of people do disagree with this. Um, so. Um, this conference has come about just as we're again witnessing these rather vocal and uh, increasingly aggressive protests outside a primary school in Birmingham over uh, LGBT inclusive education. Um, these protests have been dominated by intolerant Muslims uh, outside Anderson Park School in Birmingham at the moment. Um, the protests are part of a wider religious campaign against relationships and sex education, which is spreading around England. Um, and yeah, it's, as I say, it's becoming increasingly aggressive. Um, Alistair, this was something you wanted to pick up on. Yes, and I think the first thing to pick up on is to say that these people, this campaign is under the banner of religious freedom. And so that comes back to how, why it's so important for us to reclaim this uh, phrase, religious freedom. Two of the speakers in particular, so that was Pragna Patel of the Southall Black Sisters and Yasmin Raymond, one of our council members, uh, really helped crystallise for me an idea that I've been thinking about for a while, the last couple of months. And that's, and particularly in the face of this anti-RSE campaign, uh, and that's that I feel like we're in a current moment where religious fundamentalist groups and human rights activists are beginning to organise around sort of a symbolic moment. And that naturally just raised for me this like the idea that this could this be this generation's Rushdie moment? Could it be the galvanizing could you know the rollout of racial sex education be a galvanizing moment for groups who are organized to campaign against that and then they're making connections there and also could it be a galvanizing moment for those of us who, who, who feel called to defend the progress of secularism equality and human rights that we've made over the decades and if it is then i think the people in the room on saturday are going to be key to building that movement yeah, uh, so this week we've actually published a blog from Yasmin which draws parallels between the Rushdie affair and the protests which are currently taking place. So uh, I, I certainly recommend reading that on our website. Um, the last highlight that uh, we wanted to bring up comes from you, Helen. This is certainly a special one. Um, so as the event drew to an end, we awarded our annual Secularist of the Year prize to a truly brave man from Pakistan. Yes, we um, awarded Secretist of the Year to Saifal Maluk. He was the lawyer defending Asha Bibi, who was on death row in Pakistan for eight years. Uh, he represented her from 2014 until 2019. Others who have defended her have been killed. Now, obviously, campaigning for secularism is always a lot of effort. There's a lot of work goes into it. But we have to remember that in some parts of the world, it's not just... A hassle it's not just something you can get fierce criticism for it's something you can be killed for 
And um, as a law graduate, I look also look at it from the perspective that when a lawyer can be assassinated for defending their client, you no longer have the right to a fair trial and you no longer have the proper rule of law. And that should be a grave concern to anybody who cares about a proper system of um, law and um, society. Yeah, hugely important point uh, there. And uh, we've published more details on Saifal Malouk's prize and the work he's done on our website this week. He's uh, certainly a remarkable man. Um, and he's now taken up another blasphemy case in Pakistan uh, where a couple are potentially facing a death sentence. So he is, for, for now at least, undeterred. He certainly deserves and needs all the support that we can give him. I think we're sure we'd all agree on that. Um, okay, so we'll just perhaps, before we, uh, before we finish off, we'll just have final thoughts. Um, so, Alistair, why don't we start with you? Uh, I think I always want to thank Megan for and the volunteers for all the work that went into the conference. Uh, I was just truly inspired by not just the talks, but the diverse uh, people there that I met, the delegates, the people running stands, and you know just hearing the experiences and what people are doing to reclaim religious freedom and to defend secularism in the UK and around the world. I was quite struck also by Rachel Lasser's observation that where she said that when in, this is in America, she asked an audience what they associated with religious freedom and that one person immediately said homophobia and it's important for us to give people a better sense of what religious freedom is and what it, and what it means in terms of balancing of rights. Uh, yes, so Rachel uh, delivered the keynote address um, on religious freedom in Trump's America and why it's unrecognisable. Um, so that'll be well worth catching up on when uh, the video comes out, from everything that I've heard at least. Um, and Megan, your thoughts? I just want to um, extend some uh, more thanks, really, to some of the speakers who we haven't mentioned. Um, so we also had uh, Nick Cohen, who I have to give a special thanks to because he managed to come despite breaking his foot but he still came and um, talked about freedom of speech and went on to some other issues as well. Um, Dr. Ahmed Shahid from the United Nations, um, he actually introduced the conference and gave a really good um, sort of summing up of what religious freedom means. And um, that was a really, really useful little introduction he gave. Uh, Sarah Khan was there. Um, she's the lead commissioner for counter-extremism. And she, her speech really emphasised the challenges that people who speak out against religious fundamentalism, particularly those who speak out against religious fundamentalism within their own communities, um, really face. And, you know, the onus is on all of us to try and tackle um, issues of fundamentalism and extremism. And uh, lastly, Jeffrey Robertson QC um, introduced um, Saifal Malouk and he gave an absolutely fantastic speech that was both very emotive and really funny as well. Um, so I just want to extend my thanks to them for coming and for making this a really good conference. So thank you all for joining us. Um, and thanks also to everyone who came to Secularism 2019. Um, we'll have videos of all the talks uh, that took place at the conference on our YouTube channel in due course. Uh, if you support the work we do at the NSS, please consider joining us or donating to support our work. It's easy to find the link to become a member on our website. It's under the tab which says Get Involved on the homepage. So it should be perfectly easy to find, hopefully. Um, we'll have another podcast soon. Thanks for joining us.